The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Ah, welcome everybody. You're watching Squatbox with Karen Cho, myself, Steve Sedgwick, and these are your headlines. United on the direction, but split on the pace. The Fed minutes point to further hikes ahead, even after last month's decision to pause, sending US markets, well, mildly into the red on their return to trade. With the Asian equities, though, uh, echoing those losses. Beijing prepares to welcome the US Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, but tensions simmer as China warns its export curbs are just the start and the West should brace for more. Saudi Arabia's energy minister vows to do what it takes to support the market, as the CEOs of Total Energies and Aramco tell CNBC in Vienna that the sector is strong despite signs of waning demand. If we could stabilize it in a range of 70, 80, I think it would be good for producers and customers. Can you imagine when things picks up and economy start improving, China start picking up, jet fuel picks up? So we are optimistic about the future. ThyssenKrupp's new Sarah is valued at 2.5 billion euros ahead of its Frankfurt debut, while a Romanian energy producer eyes what could be Europe's largest IPO this year. The London Stock Exchange also gets a new entrant today. We'll be speaking to the CEO of Cab Payments at 9.10 CET. And Threads is live, roping in 5 million users in its first four hours as Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg pitches the new app as a friendly alternative to Twitter. Very good morning. How are you? Good morning. Very well, thank you. Good. We're finally feeling vigorous now after four days of waking up from the weekend. I feel pretty good today, I've got to be honest. Yeah, I'm back. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, we both got sleep last night, which is worrying for the viewer. But I was just thinking about the headlines, and I was thinking about what's going on in the world. And actually, if ever there was a set of headlines that summed up everything our viewers need to be looking at, it was that set of headlines. So what do we have in there? We had two massive CEOs talking about recovery and energy prices. We had the Federal Reserve analysis in there as well. We've got the China-US tension simmering. We've got what's going on in the markets with the IPOs mm. uh, and actually markets falling just a little bit on the back uh, of what we saw from the Fed yesterday in those minutes. Plus, we've got a little bit of social media battling, a bit of cage fight between um, threads now and Twitter. So I think there's a lot in there that you and I need to unpack over the next three hours. If you want to take the temperature of those headlines, for me, most of it was warmer than colder. The whole Goldilocks, Goldilocks scenario, you know, is it too hot, too cold, just right? But I think it was leaning towards slightly warmer because mm. at this stage you've got uh, Fed officials debating what to do with monetary policy. Should it still go up? The oil story suggested that the oil CEOs still see strength in the market. You've got IPOs. Men, men, men who sell oil right, think right. oil's OK. Right. Got it, right. IPOs coming back to the market after the, the window has been firmly shut for a number of months. Yeah. And then you've got a story where you've got actually growth again in technology when we've seen most of the companies at the start of the year focusing on cutting back, Isn't not that, launching new products. So for me, most of them are leaning towards the, the stronger side. That's of why I love you so much, because you and I can look at the same thing and come up with contrary ideas. Because you, mm. you just went glass half. In fact, you have got a glass it's, half it's full there as well. It's full. Well, I see that a quarter empty. 
<laughs> Maybe slightly more. And, and that's what I'm worried about. I'm, I'm worried that there's a lot of people trying to talk confidence it's about the global economy. commodities. Two thirds full. <laughs> yeah, it's not even a glass, it's a cup. But, um, but it is a CNBC cup, if you that's don't right. mind me holding it up. There you go. We used, to, we used to offer those to viewers. And guests when they came in to see us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Off camera if you Without, you're without telling marketing. Exactly. Um, yeah, right. Okay, shall I move on to one as we, I say, lot to unpack. And Karen and I will vigorously debate all of this with our guests and correspondents throughout the next three hours. Actually, it's now 2 hours 56 because I've been wittering on. Uh, minutes from the Fed's June meeting showed almost all policymakers believe further tightening is likely. They decided against a rate rise last month. As you all know, uh, pausing opting to pause and assess the impact of the previous 10 rate hikes. Now, according to projections released after the meeting, all but two of the 18 participants expected that at least one hike would be appropriate this year and 12 expected two or more. Now, following the minutes, markets priced in an 85% probability of a July rate hike, but only a 35% chance of a second hike in November. But don't forget, we're all data dependent now. So the key data today, and there is a lot of data today, actually. It's not just the name, what you got on the screen, but these are the ones we thought of the big ones. Jobless claims and jolts. Uh, the jolt survey, absolutely key for looking at who feels they want to quit, uh, who's looking to hire, uh, and more data besides as well. We've also, as I say, got the jobless claims. Um, elsewhere today, I will just tell you that manufacturing PMIs are due, international trade data is due, um, ADP, private sector employment, uh, mortgage data. It is a huge day of data ahead of, of course, the key June non-farm payrolls report on Friday. Our new orders for US-made goods increased less than expected in May. Factory orders rose 0.3% in line with April's increase, but smaller than the 0.8% analysts had been pricing in. Elsewhere, auto sales picked up in the second quarter, rising nearly 17% year-on-year, while EV sales gained share, rising to 7.2% in the first half. Let me take you to the markets on the back of some of that date and reaction to the Fed minutes. And it was a sell for market participants returning after the 4th of July holiday. You can see downbeat action right across the boards at various different points. Uh, investors waiting it out for more information. The Fed's data dependent. So to are markets at this stage. The chip story, we mentioned uh, the uh, big reaction from the Chinese to restrict some of those raw materials uh, provide a license uh, regime around those materials, which, of course, uh, the market stateside got to react to in trade yesterday. And those chips certainly suffered the semiconductor index in reverse. Big stocks like Intel, Texas Instruments under pressure. But uh, looking at the Nasdaq away from that chip story, there was still appetite for the big Fang Plus stocks. And that was an area of the market that actually bounced. And we saw a rally of about eight-tenths of a percent on uh, the week and so far about a quarter of a percent coming through in that session. So still elements of support for tech. The chip story just uh, destroying some of that appetite, as you can see, down about two-tenths of a percent. But it was the Dow moving the most to the downside. Big moving names for the likes of the Dow. United Health, uh, one of the underperformers there. To the Treasury market, and we saw some movement at uh, the long end of the curve, 3.95, where we approached. We moved on this rate to a fresh four-month high in uh, Tokyo trading this morning, so five points shy of 4%. And as you can see, just four points off the 5% mark on the, the two-year note. Let's take a look at the dollar. 
The move that you're seeing has meant that yields are carrying through to the dollar trade, destroying sterling and euro this morning, both on the back foot. 127 the handle on sterling, we're 108.41 in euro dollar. Dollar yen rates 143.88, and you can see dollar versus yuan also trading firmer. To the Asian markets, and these are the early signals. We've got 1.7 down on the Tokyo stock market. Just worth noting the reverse we've seen there. We were posing the question coming into the second half to trades that gained in the first half that were standouts for the first six months. Do they carry across to the second half or do we look at a very different strategy here, a market uh, dynamic strategy? Well, the Tokyo stock market has been under pressure so far in the second half, 570 odd points down, 1.7% off. Also on the Hong Kong market, we're seeing a further decline there, 3% down. That is a fairly mighty uh, trade to the downside today for that market versus a modest half of a percent coming off Chinese stocks, 1.2 downbeat on the Australian market. To the opening calls. Early on, we are also chasing red arrows, triple-digit uh, arrows to the downside in the Italian market's case. It was weaker yesterday uh, to the tune of about six-tenths of a percent. Second negative session in a row, so shaping up for a third negative session for Italian stocks. And across on the core, you can see it's looking suitably weak. We've got a 71-point uh, fall anticipated on the Zetradax. Uh, let's get to Daniel Casali, who is Chief Investment Strategist at Evelyn Partners. Daniel, um, I'm sure as a person... Personally, you are brimming with optimism, but at the moment, Karen and I are split uh, on whether we should be brimming with optimism or slightly concerned about these markets. What are your thoughts, sir? Yeah, I noticed that earlier. Uh, yes, uh, we remain quite ups, uh, constructive about equity markets. Uh, the key thing here is that the risk of an economic hard landing uh, has been significantly reduced. One way you can observe that is just simply looking on Google Trends, and it shows that internet users are less preoccupied with a global recession than they were a year ago. There are a number of reasons for that. One is that uh, Europe has avoided an energy crunch. Two, China has got rid of its zero COVID policy and is reopening. And I think the most remarkable part is the fact that uh, consumers in the US and the UK in Europe are shown increasing resilience. And that's simply because we're still at more or less full employment. So there's still the income there to keep spending going. So given that that risk of an economic hard landing has been reduced, I would say that's one of the key bases for markets to recover, which they have done since last October. It's lovely to see a fellow optimist as Karen on the show, but I, I, I'm concerned. You know, we've got a terrific story on CNBC at the moment, which is pointing out uh, that there is a global commodities route going on. And I'll just paraphrase some of it. The uh, S&P GSCI commodities performance year on year down 22 percent, energy down 23 percent, industrial metals down 4 percent as well. It doesn't seem to me that the commodities are indicating that demand is picking up anytime soon, which would suggest that there's an economic issue, which means that the market perhaps, Daniel, a little bit complacent. Well, if you look at uh, expenditure on goods, you know, consumer goods, they have come down. Uh, there's an increase in supply of, uh, of oil. Uh, so this probably explains some of the arguments why the commodity prices are coming down. But the optimism is looking at consumer services. And certainly, if you look at the manufacturing surveys and the uh, PMIs looking at services, the services component, these have been uh, splitting up uh, from the manufacturing sector. And these have been going very, very strongly indeed, it, particularly in the UK. I know it's that the UK uh, composite PMI is actually the strongest within Europe. So it does tell us that people are actually going out and spending, particularly in services, and that's uh, supporting the overall global economy. Remember, it's the service sector uh, within developed markets that is the lion's share of overall GDP. So that's where the optimism comes from.
Uh, Daniel, can I ask you about the market and how sensitive it is to interest rate hikes from here? Because we had the minutes yesterday, market uh, was a little bit weaker on the back of it, still watching and waiting to see the data. But the messaging is we've got a couple more rate hikes to weather from here. Do you think the market is concerned about those rate hikes actually coming through, given many actually wanted to pivot and a cut later this year? Or do you think that the market is largely comfortable now that we're still going up and uh, that we're just going to hold out for a little bit longer till the end of the year until we get to further direction on the data? I think it's really the latter part, really. Uh, the key point here is also that the Fed is towards the end of its rate hiking cycle. We saw within the minutes that uh, uh, most of the uh, participants, they were uh, all in, in the consensus of, of more rate hikes uh, increases later this year. That's not new news. We already saw that in the FOMC with their interest rate forecast. We may expect a 25 basis point increase in the July meeting and maybe one more rate increase towards the end of the year. Uh, but that should be about it. And that's probably why the equity market is a little bit more optimistic than, say, the bond market, uh, because they can see light at the end of the tunnel uh, with these hawkish uh, signals coming from the Fed. And with that in mind, then, Daniel, how do we view the prospect of a recession? Because it is still a prospect, according to the Fed in the minutes. And the market at this stage is optimistic. We get a bounce back in earnings come fourth quarter. They're still hoping that the labour market is strong enough to avert any form of a downturn. But what is the possibility that we do have one? And if we do, what does it do to the market pricing? Well, the question here is about to what extent we are going to have a recession. Is it going to be a deep, meaningful recession, say, like the pandemic or the global financial crisis in 2008? And I think if you, if you look at the consensus forecasts, uh, they show that it's if it's going to be a recession, it might start from the fourth quarter of this year into the first quarter of 2024. But it's going to be extremely mild. Uh, and you could argue that a lot of that negative news was already discounted uh, in 2022 when we had weak equity markets. So, a lot of that negative news is probably being discounted. And I would argue that because we're at full employment, uh, that suggests that uh, uh, the any sort of downturn in the economy will be quite mild. Uh, we've never seen a recession with full employment. Of course, you could argue that the labour market is lagging, uh, but we've not seen any sort of uptick in things like jobless claims, as you mentioned in earlier. Uh, so all eyes, I think, will be focused on those uh, payrolls coming out on Friday. Daniel, can I just get a, a thought on tech at this point? Because it was the area to buy from the start of this year. If you look at these companies, they're not sitting idle either. We've just got Meta announcing or revealing threads overnight, so a new product there. We had record deliveries over at Tesla in terms of new products uh, coming to market and executing on the strategy. And over at Apple, we've got a new device that's come to the market in recent weeks as well. So how do we think about the, the tech sector at this point? Well, at the moment, tech sector is on a tear because of this artificial intelligence uh, uh, theme, and that may have further to run. I mean, if you think about it, CEOs are looking at AI and they th feel that they must get on top of it. Otherwise, they'll be left behind. It's a bit similar to what happened in the dot-com bubble. Uh, so we think that this AI theme may have further to go, uh, and that's really been supporting a lot of the tech sector. But, all, but the other crucial part of this ingredient is the fact that we should be avoiding an economic hard landing. So at least this gives us confidence for us as investors to, uh, uh, to participate in the tech sector. Very interesting, Daniel. Everything you said there. Lovely to see you this morning. And again, uh, see you as well. a, a fellow traveller of Karen on the mildly more optimistic front this morning. Thank you very much indeed. Daniel Kassani, Chief Investment Strategist at Evelyn Partners. Was mildly optimistic. My well, read on the news flow was that, that it sounded yeah, yeah more you were half full. That's mildly optimistic. But that was my interpretation of the news flow. Doesn't mean I think that.
that makes are you, sense. Are you with me then? Are you well, concerned? I do feel as though there are still clouds on the horizon. I mean, we keep oh, yeah, he hearing sure. about some sort of short-term setback on markets, which seems very hard to avoid. And after we've had such a strong run, we know that often markets don't go up in a straight fashion. There can be moments of pullback. So at least short-term, I feel like well, we've, we've got a bridge to cross, and that's very, going to be very we've difficult. We've got lots to do here, but I'm going to unpack what... I see, for instance, look, Daniel just said something very interesting right at the end, and we went out of time, so I couldn't. It's like he said, well, yeah, I think that the AI tech sector is similar to what we saw in the dot-com boom, mm. yeah? So it's got further to run. Now, that may be true, but you've got to time this pretty damn well if you think that it is what we saw in uh, 97 to 99 to 2000, because if so, what followed the dot-com boom was the dot-com bubble yeah. bursting. Jeez, that was painful, wasn't it? Look, I, I, I agree with Daniel. I think AI is... You know how I feel about this. I've yeah. just sent out a 30-page mm. tome to everyone in the newsroom mm. because it, it just to, so we can all get our heads around it. It's clearly enormous for the future. But does that mean I have to spend 25 times on sales for the best in class in that... No one's doubting what NVIDIA has got. NVIDIA started off doing GPUs, which are graphics chips for gaming and what have you. It just happens that they are perfect for AI. And that's how it started with the NVIDIA boom in, in, in AI. But the fact of the matter is, do we have to pay? I'm not talking about 25 times profits or earnings. I'm talking 25 times sales for a best-in-class company. If that's what we have to pay, that really worries me, Karen. So I think the outcome's very binary here that we're discussing. The market goes up and then it goes bust, or it doesn't uh, when it comes to the AI story. But the reality is it could be a little bit of everything. And the AI story has given a lot of what's been deemed also Rand's cover. If you uh, just rewind back to the start of this year with the, the much more elevated credit costs, uh, the implosion of SVB, certain companies couldn't get access to credit. But now the AI story has again given some of these companies extra room to grow and to run because they've now had access thanks to the AI story. Everybody wants to put money back into some of these companies just in case they're missing out on AI. So some of these companies may not go the distance is the point. Others will. And in that question I just posed about the technology companies, I was keen to point out that they do have their own individual strategies going on away from artificial intelligence. I mean, there are certain uh, stories that you can trade on. How much more revenue will be brought into Meta thanks to Threads that has been launched? What about the delivery side from Tesla? They're executing on much larger deliveries than they've been able to execute on the past. The Apple story, new devices coming to market, creating a market segment can bolster the fortunes of company. We've seen that in the past. The market's not focused necessarily on these individual plays. They're looking at the overall, as you say, around the AI theme and how it floats the boats of all companies in technology. The reality is some of those boats may fall back to earth or back to the waterline or whatever it is, but you may see others survive because they do have individual strategies that they're playing at this stage. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there as well, yeah. including your threads. I'll, I'll come back to threads because I know you and I are talking about it later. In fact, I think you're, you're, you are a guinea pig later on in the show, aren't you? Is this true? Thanks to David. Am I wearing so. my white lab <laughs> coat with my specs and I'm watching yes, you do a bit of guinea pig? yourself in. I will? Wow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> back of England's Bailey. I bumped into Bailey at the weekend. Yes, I bet he was very excited to see you. He wasn't. No, he couldn't get away quickly enough. <laughs> it, we were at the same event and uh, it's, it was one of those ones where he's happened to before. He recognised me because you know, obviously we've been... You, same, look, you look a little bit familiar. It looked a, bit, looked a little like bit familiar, but he couldn't quite work out how. And when he worked out how, he was off quicker than you can imagine. Uh, Mr Bailey well, Good morning is, though, to you this morning, Mr Bailey. Good morning, Mr Bailey. Uh, he's talking to the BBC this morning. He's talking... As the governor of the Bank of England, by the way, uh, says there is evidence some retailers are overcharging customers. Now, this is just a flash uh, on the Reuters wire quoting the BBC. 
I don't know if he's specifically talking about fuel markets because the second flash we have here is uh, moves by regulators on retail prices, especially in the aforementioned fuel markets, uh, will help to lower inflation because, of course, there is an accusation against the supermarket on-court retailers of fuel that actually the, they are costing consumers an average of six pence per litre extra because of their oligopolistic position on fuel sales. Something a little bit French, isn't he? Should we call him Andrew Lemaire? I mean, Bruno Le Maire was talking about this yesterday, about uh, same time a day earlier, um, but from the French context. Uh, so Bailey just really picking up on what the French are doing and uh, taking aim at where the root of all evil exists, apparently, with the retailers. And I think we, we're challenging that assumption to an extent. Uh, no doubt there's been some profitability that's come through from the supermarkets, but it also starts much early on in the food chain system and some of those being Swiss companies. We've got plenty more to come this hour and throughout the show, including... Total Energy's CEO Patrick Bionet tells CNBC crude prices between $70 and $80 a barrel would be good for producers and customers. He spoke to CNBC on the sidelines of the OPEC seminar in Vienna. We'll be bringing you more from that interview later on this hour. And we're going to take a deep dive on how global supply chains are performing at 8.30 CET with Oscar de Bock, who is the global CEO supply chain division at DPDHL. And then later on, we'll be speaking to the CEO of Cab Payments just after the market open at 9.10 CET as the British payments company looks to inject some energy into the UK IPO scene. Coming up on the show, Janet Yellen heads to China tasked with recalibrating relations as tensions spike. We'll have the latest in just a moment. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Welcome back. China's curbs on the export of metals used in semiconductors are, quote, just a start, according to an influential Chinese trade policy advisor. His comments come at a critical time with U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen arriving in China today. And meanwhile, Yellen is embarking on a four-day trip to China charged with recalibrating ties between the world's two biggest economies. Her visit comes after weeks, or just weeks after the Secretary of State Antony Blinken's delayed trip when he agreed with President Xi that rivalry should not veer into conflict. Well, let's get out to Sam for more. Sam, there was a comment made recently that uh, dialogue with China shouldn't be seen as a reward, that it should just be happening. And now we have a reset here as Yellen is on the ground having conversations. So just tell us what we're expecting uh, and what the big touch points will be when it comes to the economy, at least. Speaking of a touch point, Karen, I am disappointed with Steve. He missed the memo again. On Wednesdays, we wear pink, and on Thursdays, Karen and I wear teal. But anyway, let's see if uh, Janet Yellen got the memo. I know she's wearing black when she stepped on the plane. Let's see if she does a bit of an outfit change when she arrives in Beijing. But uh, she is set to get there at a very, very tense time, as you heard there with uh, Steve, of course, talking about the ex-Movcom officials' comments. A very influential uh, advisor now saying that perhaps we could see more retaliatory measures to come. 
And so we continue to see signs that China very much is perhaps going to inflict pain where it really hurts. There have been a lot of concerns now that China could use rare earths uh, certainly as leverage in this trade war that has certainly been a worry for a number of years as it uses and takes advantage of its strategic dominance here uh, to hit back against those U.S. sanctions. So no doubt that will be very key in these conversations uh, that will be had over the next uh, couple of days. No major breakthroughs or deliverables are expected, certainly from this trip. At the very least, it'll be a chance for the two sides to hammer out their differences over these export controls, these supply chains. Now, what has very much been highlighted this week in China's dominance when it comes to some of these key metals that go into uh, these semiconductor chips and also the state of each other's uh, economies. Now, as far as Yellen is concerned over in China, uh, she is seen as taking a sort of more conciliatory tone. She is seen as the voice of reason within the Biden administration. You only had to look at her John Hopkins speech just a few months ago where she made and offered the most comprehensive and clear articulation of the Biden's policy yet. So it only took a couple of years, but uh, she did say that decoupling would be disastrous. So uh, this is something, of course, that will very much play into the conversations. It's going to be a very big uh, uh, balancing act, you could say, but uh, at least a positive sign that they are keeping these communication channels open, at least the economic channels, uh, because we haven't seen, of course, the military channels uh, being open. So there is an expectation that uh, Yellen will also meet with the U.S. business community, at least the uh, U.S. uh, ambassador to China to talk about some of their concerns amid the conundrum for corporate America right now doing business in China, where they see very much value in this market at a a time where we are seeing, uh, of course, a lot of talk about de-risking and these worries about these laws in China, like exit bans. Now, I did hear about uh, a Chinese academic speaking this morning who hopes that she will talk to these uh, U.S. businesses and see how they're operating in China, head back to Washington and then tell her U.S. officials that their national security concerns are overblown. But uh, let's see uh, what happens. Uh, No doubt they'll hammer out uh, a lot of things over the next uh, couple of days. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.